Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 117 with graphic designer Jessica Svensson, who joins us this week to discuss the nuances she encounters while discovering her own personal design and voice. We discuss the oddities that occur from subjective viewpoints on art and design and how important it is to understand and develop your core fundamentals to help guide your taste. We also discuss her desire to explore doing more independent work and pushing her own abilities and styles in search of her own and never-ending quest of artistic development. This episode is is sponsored by Maxon, the creators of Cinema 4D. If you're in North or South America, Maxon is now offering a free private demo of C4D at livedemo.maxon3d.com. As you know, the best way to learn Cinema 4D is with the help of a guide and for a limited time, this one-hour session of an official with an official trainer valued at $60 is absolutely free with no gimmicks or pitches. So check it out at livedemo.maxon3d.com. So here we go, everybody. Episode 117. Let's roll. evident when I look at your work that you uh, have a love for design and I'm wondering I'm curious where does that come from is that something of your childhood or um, you know how was your childhood is that something that you know you thought as a kid I'm going to be a designer and was that something on the forefront of your imagination Uh, definitely not in design Um, I really only kind of started to understand what graphic design was in college, um, kind of an immediate induction as a freshman, but I only started taking classes as a senior. So I look at other students who went to art school and got a BFA, and I'm just kind of amazed that they were able to kind of have an awareness and understanding that young. I kind of took some meandering routes and explored other um, more academic routes. Um, I mean, I think as, as a like early childhood I still remember in kindergarten kind of like giving you a sheet and they asked what your dream job would be and I you know there was a blank to write the name of the title and an area to draw a picture and I I wrote my dream job was to be an artist and then I like drew a little easel with palette so that's like my first I kind of was always interested in kind of drawing and painting but it kind of uh i left it for a while in college i was an english major um and so i was kind of really invested in potentially becoming an academic uh but uh one of the things that i was introduced to kind of first fall semester of freshman year was i went to a letterpress studio open house um and i'm not sure how familiar you are with letterpress but one of the things that we did in that first night was just kind of set each letter hand by, uh, you know, letter by letter. That's cool. Um, and for me, I kind of always did that at nights throughout college. And for me, that kind of solidified this relationship between what I was studying as an English major in terms of like textual analysis uh, versus kind of by setting type by hand, you start to understand certain kind of formal principles that can illuminate the meaning of the text in kind of different and new ways hmm. so that's where i started kind of playing with typography developing an interest in design um and 
so I really only feel like I became a graphic designer once I entered the MFA program at the Yale School of Art, because that's when I kind of committed to this profession on a full-time basis. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's, I'm, I always feel kind of like a little bit of an outsider in the profession, not only because I come from a different background, but because I'm relative, you know, I haven't um, been working in the profession as long as others. It's <laughs> hmm, interesting. And do you think that I'm, I'm thinking that might give you a little bit of an edge with a different perspective? Or do you, would you agree or is that, or do you feel behind at some, at some point or somehow? It's definitely not behind. I actually appreciate meeting other designers who come from different backgrounds mm. um, because I think the approach, uh, the brief or the approach design uh, differently. Um, and often that lends itself, I think, to a different conceptual approach um, formally as well that can happen as well. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's great about the Yale program is they actually encourage people from other backgrounds to enter the MFA program. So, you know, I came from an English background, which I consider quite synonymous with design, but uh, you know, we had someone from geology, someone from art history. So you can be coming, approaching design from these very different disciplines, which I think just lends itself to kind of creating new and different work. Yeah, which actually gives life to what design is and really helps, I think, the rest of the community. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think it uh, helps encourage a certain diversity and new perspectives that otherwise, I think, art schools, uh, having taught at two New York art schools, um, there can be a certain kind of monolithic ideology uh, to the way design is taught. Yeah. Um, so dead having a student body feeling. with diversity is uh, is better for the profession overall. Would you say good design is about diversity or is it about structure? What do you mean by structure? Uh, structure is, you know, an agreement of symbols, basically. Like, you know, this thing means that and blah, blah, blah. Like a formation of structure, you know, grids and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I think it depends on... Uh, I mean, this is kind of a larger conversation about uh, the efficacy of design education in the United States at this time in Let's which, do uh, it. you know, Let's dive in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's the kind of inevitable question of like, hmm. you know, if you have a four year degree at an art school, do you need a master's degree? And I think that differentiation between what you're doing at a master's level versus a bachelor um, kind of gets into the question of, whether or not design should be about structure versus kind of an artist's perspective. Yeah. Um, I think when you're teaching the foundation and I taught kind of introductory and advanced typography, um, it is about kind of foundational principles and kind of teaching a certain uh, dogma to these students so that they under understand history, they understand context, they foundation. understand kind of what, yeah, these foundational structural uh elements but i think once you start getting beyond that especially into the master's level um it really is about creating your own not only like methodology for producing work but kind of um how you approach any type of content and any type of medium so it's much looser it's much kind of more equivalent to like an artist in residence where you're kind of there doing your own work and 
really the only thing the structure is providing you is kind of feedback from critics. Sure. Um, so I think it, I think it just depends on where you are. Um, but I think it's part of that kind of larger conversation of, you know, after you have the foundational principles and you're kind of a really exceptional graphic designer, do you need to kind of spend this extra time getting a master's or kind of have we failed students if they need, you know, another two to three years? Sure, sure. And do you feel that having the structure um, helps you uh, kind of convey main ideas? And do you do you believe in that structure? Say like typeface, um, letter spacing, and understanding that, and, and and also like the design grid and understanding that and why certain things work and why certain things don't. Do you think that having that formation helps you? as a designer to make decisions say, or have, um, create things off of that? I mean, I think it's a useful tool in design and definitely one, um, which I use and I encourage students to use just because you start to understand history. You start to understand formal principles and relationships. Um, but for me, uh, I think ultimately a lot of these decisions are subjective. Yeah. Um, so kind of what feels right on a grid or what typeface you choose is such a subjective valuation that it's hard as a designer, as a critic, as a teacher to kind of give meaningful feedback when all, at the end of the day, a lot of these decisions are really intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of... That's why uh, one of the things I struggled with the most in teaching this year was kind of you're there in a position to kind of teach these principles and this dogma. Mm -hmm. And yet ultimately at the end of the day, you know that somehow these students need to just start thinking for themselves and be really (laughs) like self-initiated and doing the work that they want to do regardless of your feedback. Um, So it's kind of a like fine balance between kind of your role kind of imposing your own knowledge versus kind of just opening up the territory for them to do the work that they'll end up doing it eventually. That's what I always thought was interesting about design um, because I think I originally and always will be, I come from art um, in a traditional sense, drawing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then somehow landed in design. Um, And for me, it's always been really interesting because with art, um, let's say, there's different forms, right? And a lot of it's subjection, right? Like you said, but if you were to say, I'm going to be an artist that draws realistic life figures of people and you can instantly say, well, that's not very good because it's not realistic, blah, blah, blah. The the principles of which you're trying to uh, create something aren't being uh, conveyed properly. But with, Mm -hmm. with design is so, it's such an interesting thing where there's so many things that makes it so unique and multifaceted. Um, it could be more math based. It could be more grid based. It could be more like abstract and artistic and expressionistic, like David Carson, for example, mm-hmm. um, who's, you know, kind of made his career off of breaking the grid, destroying it, kind of going backwards, trying to shake up that, you know, like, what are your thoughts on designers such as him, especially when he was like, you know, really prevalent doing his thing in Raygun and all that stuff? I guess I'm curious. Uh, I mean, you kind of have just suggested that design and let's say uh, painting and drawing, it's an analogous situation where you kind of need to know the rules before you can start breaking them. Is that kind of how you feel about your own trajectory that you kind of had to go through drawing and painting before you could 
intern to film. My personal opinion is that you should know as much as you can about anything that you love and mm-hmm. as ab- abstract and, and, and vague as I can be, that's the best thing I can say. And if that means you need to learn the core fundamentals from everybody and, and either agree or disagree, I think you really need to know that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not one thing or the other. I think you should just always be seeking knowledge, you know, and by doing so, I think you're going to have a much better understanding of what it is that you're doing or trying to accomplish. The moment mm-hmm. that I'm frustrated or have, uh, you know, some kind of insecurity or lack of something, it's usually due to my lack of understanding the thing that I'm trying to approach, you know, and a lot of people, I think, are blinded by that. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. But I think it's all it's great to know everything that you can from everybody, even if it's Uranus, just miscellaneous information. You know, you never know what you're going to use eventually, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. my standpoint, though. I have a very broad standpoint on it because I think it all merges into one. It doesn't really matter to me, really. So <laughs> it's all just exploration, you know, a subjective exploration. So, sure. I mean, I agree. I mean, it, it really just brings to mind, I was um, a couple of weeks ago in Amsterdam and I saw kind of one of these new exhibitions on Matisse. Mm, um, and what it, do, what it did is uh, actually show a lot of contextual work uh, beforehand, um, including some of his own kind of very traditional paintings and drawings. And, you know, I was talking with, uh, you know, the person who I was with and, uh, he kind of, uh, you know, didn't appreciate that as much as kind of all of the later work, all of the cutouts, which are just kind of these massive, really graphic uh, pieces in which you can see both like this physicality and this graphic quality to the work. Yeah. Um, and you can easily pass over kind of how many years he spent kind of trying to master uh, drawing and painting. And at the same time, kind of he suggested or you know he argued that you kind of had to have that foundation before you could start to kind of move into the cutouts and I kind of agree with you that at a certain point I start to discredit a person whether it be ray gun or whatever um if they don't have that foundational those foundational years before they start kind of breaking all the rules i mean it's interesting yeah. that we've kind of veered into this conversation because i think a lot of people uh consider my work experimental and i don't think it's really wow. uh, yeah. radical <laughs> at all yeah um, it's unique that's interesting so that's why um i'm kind of what is it that they partly think? baffled that um it feels kind of unique and foreign because i feel like i'm still playing the game so to speak in terms of grids and good typesetting and things like that sure sure um so yeah do they elaborate on upon why they think so or are they just well i mean it's definitely uh i think a lot of my work ends up being typographic uh and the kind of display typography i think i'm always interested in something in which i haven't seen before Hmm. and so i try to push the display typography to something other than a digital typeface replicated on a page it just feels kind of too easy and that I didn't work hard enough. Hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of the kind of distortion or um, custom lettering comes in because I'm kind of pushing towards something that um, doesn't come out of the box. Hmm. Um, and I think that's where it gets into this, oh, she may be breaking the rules. Um, sure. When I, yeah, it's... It's really interesting. You said something that I thought was pretty unique about what how you end up with where you're at. You mentioned um, the 
the effort it takes, the hard work. Um, is your work ethic strong and, and where does that come from? And does that define kind of who you are? I mentioned, you kind of mentioned that, that it did in the last answer. Is that something tr- that you think is true to you as a person and kind of like, where does that come from? Um, well, I think it's a kind of interesting question because I think my work ethic comes from different places depending on, what I'm working on at the moment, but, uh, I think in design, um, the designers who I appreciate the most are actually deeply, uh, unsatisfied or, uh, discon- they're, they're not necessarily content with the work that they've done, even sure. if the public is kind of amazed and wowed. <laughs> um, and I think the work ethic comes from that place where, um, you know, I'm kind of deeply unhappy and insecure about all of my work, and I'll be the mm. first to admit it. Um, and I think that it comes it. from that place of like um, never being fully satisfied with what you've done, what you've done, and kind of want to keep pushing yourself and challenging yourself on a very like self-initiated level. Um, it's a very arduous thing to do, this, isn't it? And it's the funny thing is, it's all perspective, isn't it? What we do as careers, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, perspective on your own work and the perspective of others is kind of, uh, it's a terribly fueling (laughs) process in terms of how it pushes the work. Yeah. But I I feel that I have a connection as well with other artists that have that similar, almost, um, it's insecurity in the sense of never being able to, I, I can, I, I personally call it your voice because you will search your life, um, and, and, and a life worth living is searching, right? I think that's my perspective and mm-hmm. you'll constantly be searching for that feeling of not feeling either alone or conveying the idea, which is deep within you. That's the concept of like your reality. Um, I'm digging deep into this stuff, but that's kind of how I look at it too. And I think that's pretty interesting and, and you know, quite fascinating about how you're, you know, perceiving your own reality too, which is interesting. So, so I guess I'm curious because I think you built kind of a body of work that uh, definitely revolves around certain both formal and conceptual themes. So I'm curious, kind of, when you're digging for that concept. Um, does the visual always translate to the idea? Uh, And then I'm also just curious, kind of part of this conversation is kind of uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of having a very distinct style? Okay. Awesome. Well, I I mean, I don't know, like style, I I try to be really cautious, but not really. um, I don't really necessarily think of it because I don't want to be pigeonholed. That's one thing, you know? And so, um, so like example in my life, um, working in films and on client work and client work is very much separated from who I am. I think I, I try to infuse as much as myself as I can, but, um, it's just not me, you know, I'm, I'm working for somebody that has their own intentions and I'm trying, I'm a work for, I'm a gun for hire basically. So, mm-hmm. the, so that work is really not me necessarily in the purest of form. So, and with style, I really try to be cautious of what it is that I'm doing and, and I, 
and I, I consider, like I mentioned earlier, I, I love to do so many things that I'm not necessarily married to just one. And so I, I'm, I love like writing and I love uh, directing film and I love, you know, doing MoGraph and I love designing and I love drawing. And, and I think, mm-hmm. I think taking all those little bits for me personally has allowed me to be so plentiful about how I experience my own artistic journey. And, um, sorry if I veered off to your question, I, I totally lost track of what it exactly was because <laughs> it was a really well-formed question, but I ran on it to a tangent. Um, but what was your original question? Well, I guess we were kind of, uh, I think we were veering towards kind of talking about, uh, kind of how, kind of what drives you in kind of any project um and you kind of mentioned um you kind of dig towards a kind of conceptual level at the very beginning and Mm. that's kind of what is your ethic and drives you in the work um and yet i'm i'm always curious when um work starts at that kind of conceptual basis and yet um regardless of format or medium kind of the formal result, the visual result tends to have certain similar characteristics. I think that's where you get, we are kind of talking about yeah. a specific voice um, and kind of, if it's that your voice, if kind of regardless of kind of the brief or the concept or kind of whether or not you're working with film or motion graphics or design mm-hmm. that kind of there's some thread connecting your work. Well, I personally thrive in the conceptual section. I think it's actually due to my maturity of age that I've developed for time. It's I don't just dive right in these days. It's more mm-hmm. or less nowadays I like to sit back and digest, think, write, do something very abstract, uh, an investment of time that's very small, so like a thumbnail sketch, for example. Instead mm-hmm. of going deep into asking the internet, hey, how does this work or how do I find answers to this, I go into very minimal risk of time, like... Um, just diving into little things, write little notes, little things. And, and I really thrive in that realm personally. Do you have the mm-hmm. same process where you're kind of doing these little things that are more on the conceptual side, thinking about it, taking a walk or something like that? Is that how you're working now and how you approach basically problem solving? Because sometimes I wouldn't, I don't know if you agree, but I look at design as being, um, you have this puzzle and you're trying to put it together. It's a, it's a, it's, you're solving a problem or you can not a problem in a bad way, but you're trying to solve a puzzle basically. Um, sure. I mean, I think, um, there is a level of kind of solving a specific, uh, specific problem, whether that be you're working for a client or, you know, your own self-initiated work. Um, there's something you want to achieve and something you want to get out in the world. Um, at the same time, I think in design, the work becomes interesting when it both solves that problem, but it also kind of, um, whether inadvertently or overtly kind of pushes something in the designer's work. Um, so that's why I was kind of interested in kind of maybe what's this kind of connective tissue or thread in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of interested in studios and designers where um, they do make like a deliberate um, connection between projects um, kind of more based on kind of an artist practice where even if it's a brief from a client or kind of a new exhibition or gallery opening or something like that, they try to kind of see these connections conceptual or formal between each project. Hmm. Um, Interesting. 
which I think is kind of really hard to do in design in a client-based world. But I think um, that's where kind of a body of work becomes really interesting. Yeah, that's really, I think, when you start to shine a little bit or, or you don't, you know, it's kind of a, that's what I always, like I said, I find design to be so interesting. It's so subjective, if A, it's so subjective, just like art, <laughs> but it's much more, I think. Um, but there's this formation of, of, of agreed upon symbols and, mm-hmm. um, and, and language, basically. There's a language of design that works and there's these things that people break and those are things that people um, consistently go and follow and find and, and decide and agree upon. And it's so interesting to me when I, I meet designers who are, uber snooby like you know like it's got to be this tight face and i totally get that because when you find something that you love you love it and Mm -hmm. and you want to continue that love affair you know and that makes sense and and um it's so hard to talk about for me personally it's perhaps it's just my very finite understanding of what design is um, but it's hard for me to really dig deep into this stuff without being sounding so abstract, you know, <laughs> I apologize if it, if I'm not no, being no. defined at all, because it's, it's, we're, I'm trying to pin down this thing that just is hard to pin down, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's kind of the troubling situation of we all kind of, uh, have our specific tastes and preferences within this kind of subjective realm of creating work. Um, and at the same time, once the body of work says, you know, oh, I can only use Baskerville as my typeface, you start to kind of Hmm. reconsider like inbred uh, or something. It's weird. Yeah. Um, whether or not that work is kind of conceptually grounded or even formally innovative or I don't know. But I guess it just depends on, I think what one of the parts of the design process that we might be missing in this conversation is the destination, right? Like what you would use a hammer to hit a nail. So your destination is to hammer a nail into a wall. Your mm-hmm. tool is design, which is the hammer, um, how well crafted and weighted and, you know, like how well set up the hammer is for the user. Basically the viewer or yourself is, is what defines kind of that exchange, I suppose, you know? Which is kind of interesting, you know, I, that's kind of how I'm trying to approach it as well, because it, like I said, it quickly becomes a very abstract topic to really dive de- deep into and mm-hmm. decipher what is good and what's bad, you know, so. No, I agree completely. Like audience is something we haven't really talked about, but. uh I'm writing notes I, as we go. So <laughs> keep continue. I, I guess, I guess my kind of qualm about this conversation is I, and maybe this is kind of coming from New York studios where I think a lot of designers, young designers are kind of pushing their own formal tastes and ideology, regardless of concept or regardless of audience. And so that's where it's like, Oh, I'm building this kind of style of voice or body of work around, you know, these, the things that I prefer, whether that be, you know, high modernism or, you know, David Carson, you know, whatever kind of subjective vision you have. Um, and I think what's concerning is kind of precisely that they're not taking into consideration kind of responding to a client, responding to your audience, responding to its use. Yeah. Um, that it's just about kind of in a, in a deep way, kind of selfishly trying to get your own work out into the world. Yeah. Um, so that's where I think it becomes a kind of uh, a more uh, frightening territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And in the, the simplest of senses, but yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing that's really interesting too, because you can go on this, another subjection of opinion too, because you can say you should understand obviously what it is that you're doing because eventually you're going to be working with a client and you're going to need to be able to control those parameters and you know, all that stuff. And the mm-hmm. other thing is you want to be unique and just diverse in your own right and become your own self to have your own voice so that you bring life back into design. Right. So it's like, where do you start as a designer? Where do you end as a designer? How do you find that kind of area of, of, um, contentment, I guess, or of, uh, fulfillment, you know, and it's mm-hmm. very, I find it to be very challenging. Um, I, f- I don't know what it is because with art, for example, like I said, traditional art, I feel like there, I find fulfillment in it pretty quickly because I've understood exactly my goals, you know, and I've understood mm-hmm. that, but I guess, like I said, maybe it's my premature understanding of what design is as a person. And that's why I'm really curious to hear from you because you're obviously much more established in your understanding of what design is based off like the feel that I get from your work. It's very refined, but there's also, like you said, there are some moments that you are breaking things and trying new things and your voice is coming through and your decision making is coming through. And that's what I get as a viewer of your work, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get, well, I'm curious, uh, what, what do you feel is your specific voice? Cause you kind of have a much longer trajectory and kind of track record in your work. And I'm curious kind of how you see the kind of connective tissue uh, for all of your work is it that kind of conceptual kind of taking a step back um, before you start a project or is there something formally that connects all of the work yeah personally I think it changes every day um, so I <laughs> and that's probably not the best answer to say but you know it depends on what my love affair is to be completely honest you mm-hmm. know um, I, I might think in my mind romantically that oh I really love to be a director okay and, and then I have that idea oh a director does these things that has power control can do all these things has people working with them great talent you know and then I go and I try it and it's not as much of the love affair that I was aiming for you know mm-hmm. then I go and try design and go I really love design this is really fun and then I get distracted by oh that's 3D let me try that so I think my all that kind of distills down to what it is that I'm in love with at the moment that I'm living life, basically. What is most fulfilling to me? What inspires me? And I just mm-hmm. chase that the whole time because I don't like to sit still. And I think that's really part of, like, I guess why I like to move so fast and do so many things, you know, because I just enjoy those things. How about for you, though? What's What is that for you? Um... Hmm. I think for me, it's uh, kind of a two-part level of fulfillment. I'm most fulfilled by the work when um, my perspective or my approach to the project is kind of deeply referential to the content. There is this kind of marriage between uh, the content and the form that um, one familiar with the project would, would understand, but it also kind of has layers of meaning and references that someone geeky about that content would understand as well. Mm. Um, so there's kind of multiple entry points into kind of how the design connects to the viewer. Um, and I think, you know, that layer of referentiality is something that maybe comes from my English background, but I just think uh, also produces more 
rewarding experiences with a with a viewer um and then kind of what we were talking about before is kind of i'm not sure where it comes from but i have this impulse to kind of be constantly pushing things formally maybe i'm just like not satisfied or still insecure as a designer um but uh i think i um, I'm always kind of pushing against this sense of uh, wanting to do something that someone has never done before. And I think a lot of the digital stuff that comes out, I feel like I've either seen it before, it's too safe, it's too boring. Uh, it's, uh, and I think a lot of what I do kind of pushes against that. E even if it's still using digital tools, um, Oftentimes it uses analog ones, but I think there's this sense of, um, I don't want to make something that anyone else could do. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a difficult territory as well, because it yeah. gets into this question of whether or not uh, anything can be made new or anything <laughs> is uh, replicatable. Um, but I think if the work is unique and irreplicatable, that's where I'm kind of really happy with the formal result. Mm, that's that's great it's very articulate to to, to, to to define and i think that's a really great um segue to talk about kind of what is original you know in design what is original and like you kind of were touching on it um i have a hard i i feel the same way i wonder you know like this can this be replicated is mm -hmm. this giving me a certain feeling does it matter that this is similar to that thing you know mm -hmm. it, it, is it or not you know what is originality you know and defining that um could be really interesting you know diving deeper into that kind of rabbit hole because it really is a rabbit hole you know <laughs> yeah because i think um you can talk about originality in terms of vision you can talk about it in terms of kind of the formal image that is created at the end I think a lot of times I question whether or not either of those could be original. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, that there's always going to be a case of, you know, someone 50 years ago or someone five years from today is going to do the exact same thing with the exact same tools. So that's where I kind of veer towards originality being a method of like, uh, uh, originality being a possibility for like the tools on which you use mm. um and so like if i'm working off of the computer on an analog format there's this kind of naive sense that um no one else can create these given conditions uh with the conditions i've set for myself now hmm. so that's why a lot of the stuff i did in school and even some of my pentagram work I tried to get off the computer a little bit for at least one step of the process, just so that you had that sense of, um, you know, someone who knows Adobe wouldn't be able to create this because they don't have the same tools that I'm using at this moment. Hmm. Um, so I think for me, there's kind of a physicality, a craft, a reproduction element to originality um, that helps at least somehow assuage those feelings of, um, impossibility of creating something original hmm. so it's like the alchemy of tools then huh the recipe mm -hmm. in which you're using them i guess huh that's interesting yeah i, I think that's a great point and i um, i agree too and i think that's probably why i'm, I'm so eager and, and love learning new programs because i could take my skill set from this pile of stuff here take it to a 3d program and mm -hmm. merge those things and come up with some weird alchemy that you'd have to really understand the way your way is around these three tools to get to that same thing. And I think, um, 
that's, I never really thought about it, but the way you're producing, like the way you're saying that, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I try to achieve the same thing. I think that's where you do get interesting uh, originality because the alchemy of the tools in which you're using, you're using the same thing of, of, I guess, uh, of, you know, I make something, I put it out there for your eyes and your mind and your ears, I suppose, to hear and see, and you react to it. But I think the destination and the, um, the route that you go about to get these things for people to be cons- to people for people to consume are always usually really unique and interesting. And, and that's an interesting way of going about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I've been like, you know, there's two schools of thought with this. I mean, there, there's many schools of thought. You can use the same tool your whole life and produce different work. Um, or you can create an alchemy, you know, of just random Mm-hmm. assortments of things and see what happens uh, i'm personally more curious about breaking it and understanding why it works and then understanding how to build from there but um yeah I think that's really cool it's interesting i mean do you strive after originality in your work uh you know i don't know if it's originality that i'm necessarily always trying to approach i, I think i'm just I think, I mean, I guess, I guess part of it is, I, I, I'm personally very aware that, um, we live in almost like a repetitious matrix, like pattern, (laughs) like as humans, we're very simple as, Mm -hmm. as well as we're very complex. And so I know that this is all symbols and agreed upon things and, and, and it's all subjection. Um, so, you know, let's say, let's say for example, um, somebody is, you know, 10 or 12 years old, never heard of Matisse, but I love Matisse. I'm much older and I would have grown up studying him. I'll create a piece of work really similar and based off of his work. That person sees it and goes, that's really great. Um, or I do a replication. Oh, that's really great. And they'd have no understanding or knowledge of the original, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going on tangent here, but what I'm saying is, is, is it's perspective of your viewer, but it's also a perspective of yourself, of who you know and what you know and how much you know about the things around you. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's hard for me because I love to know so much. And, and the problem is with that is I realize that it kind of, sometimes it does two things. It closes your box of reality in because it allows you to know what's out there. But at the same time, if you can look past it, it expands your box of, of imagination, I guess, because it, mm-hmm. it gives you more tools. So I guess it depends on like how you utilize knowledge um, and an understanding of things that are before you or coming past you, I guess, in time, you know, mm-hmm. so abstractly thinking or speaking (laughs) i guess i'm curious like for you and your work then kind of who who or what was the source material who are you looking towards who are you referencing yeah if it's not replication kind of where where is it coming from i think uh, maybe you especially because your work seems really speculative right it's about um, kind of seeing something which actually doesn't physically exist a lot of times. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the times um, it depends on the project because every project is like a different relationship, you know, it has a completely mm-hmm. different love affair and completely different kind of um, set of rules, I suppose. Um, but I think, um, 
I don't know. I, it really, it just really varies, you know? Uh, like, so if I use like a case study, like who, who am I inspired by? So if, if it's, cons- if you're considering, um, like just me drawing or something like that af- aspect, it's like, it's, I'm very much inspired by the things that I grew up with and, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to access that feeling, that sensation I had as a kid, just really loving it because as a career doing this stuff professionally, it can really suck the life out of you if you're not careful because you're doing, mm-hmm. I call it like an art prostitute because that's kind of what it is. You're just <laughs> doing shit for people and you're just kind of, you have to, you know, to pay the bills and it becomes taxing, at least for me, because I, I, I'd rather just do my own thing. So I think for that, I'm just trying to access those things that got me so excited as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, like, what is it that got me excited about this thing and, and, and all that stuff. So, um, I'll look at like source material of artists that I admire, like say Frank Miller, for example, who's just, a, I, I feel is there's some parts of his career where he's really was a master of what he's doing. And he actually is much more abstract now, which is really interesting, but he, he's an alchemy and a, a, a complete um, mix of many different inspirations from Japan to France and everybody in between. Mm-hmm. And then also like a, Otomo. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these guys, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like Otomo's, um, I think it's not only just his amazing um, work and his ability, but at the same time, like, the I'm really inspired by people who are just amazing and prolific. And he's one of those people that is a, is a content like machine, you know, in his prime, he was just, when I see somebody doing something really amazing and setting the bell curve, that's really what I'm looking at. You know, I'm trying to see like, Oh, who's setting this trend right here? Like who's really Mm -hmm. pushing the level up a couple notches, you know, and that's who mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated with, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I almost personally, I find it maybe because I don't have as intense a love affair with design and I do love it, but I don't know if I love it as much as these other things, but I have a hard time defining who that is in my design um, love affair, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you have people? I mean, I've, I've read up a little bit on Sagmeister. I think he's really interesting human being. I don't even consider him. I mean, I, everybody would, he's obviously a designer, but at the same time, I, he's a very interesting human to me, you know, as a, as a case, for example, somebody that I study that's in to, to design, but yeah. Sure. I mean, I think Zagmeister is kind of a per- perfect case study for kind of our earlier, uh, topic in which like, you know, I know a few of the designers who work in the studio and they only present one, uh, one pitch to a client. They give you one solution, hmm. you know, a pentagram <clears throat> we would give anywhere from three to five, you know, here are, here are five possible solutions to hmm. kind of your new brand identity where Zagmeister, you're kind of hiring them to give you the solution kind of in a deeply Paul Rand kind of quality, which I kind of appreciate on yeah, one level. Great. And yeah. On the other level, I'm baffled by that that's <laughs> economically sustainable. And at that same time, you kind of have to realize people like Zagmeister, Marion Banshees, and things like that, they're hired precisely because they have that specific vision and that specific Absolutely. style. You know, you're hired because you want a, you know, Zagmeister mm-hmm. identity or, you know, building or things like that. Um, I admire that. I think that's really bold, bold and ballsy to do at the same time. I think that's really cool. The client then for, therefore is understanding that they're hiring that person for their brain, not for their hands, you know, which I find to be fascinating. So that's really cool. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, to achieve that status is kind of remarkable at the same time. I think what's missing is that kind of process, that design mm-hmm. process that can happen between, um, 
you know, the client and the designer, um, in which, you know, I've encountered a number of scenarios where the collaboration back and forth ends up producing a better result. Mm, that's um, cool. And I think just sometimes uh, it, it's kind of very aggressive to just provide one monolithic vision um, without it's a choice, huh? necessarily consultation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'm one. I had one follow up question to kind of what we were talking about before, in which you mentioned kind of uh, the obligations to kind of keep on working on uh, projects for clients, and yet kind of that's not really your ideal scenario. You said you know you'd rather just be doing your own work. Yeah. What would that be? Would that be directing films? Would that be? I think it's um, just taking the things that are in my head and, and sharing them with people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cause there, there's Can so you much. give an example? Okay, so um, uh, I wonder if it's going to be released by the time this podcast comes out. There's so many things. I can only share so much of my okay. work. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, um, well, something recent because I have a bad memory because I'm never um, remembering things as I go through. I'm just constantly consuming. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, I could just go off of my own like intellectual property, which is this, um, this crazy world that I've been developing called lost boy. And it's really, mm -hmm. that's a whole, just, you know, me creating just this thing. And it's, um, I really enjoy that personally because it allows me to really kind of dive into my own personal imagination. And like I said, I, I'm trying to get back to that love affair that I had when I was a kid. Um, because I felt like I was getting lost in other people's desires and needs and mm -hmm. becoming a yes man. And it, I don't like that personally. I think uh, um, I'm not happiest like that. I, parts I do agree. And I think it's great to be that and to live that and to understand it. Like I said, knowledge is power. And I think it's important to um, experience all these things because it's experience. But I'm happiest when I'm able to um, I think it might just be the level that I'm at right now. You know, I'm happiest when I'm able to convey these ideas and concepts and really dive in and, and, and ask questions of my own universe within, within my imagination and give answers, you know, and, and collaborate with friends and close people that I, I appreciate and respect, you know, that's, that's always like a really fun, um, journey for me personally. And, um, that's usually, uh, for me personally, that's kind of where I like to live, to talk a little bit about Sagmeister's approach, though, I really, um, because I remember reading a, um, a note from, I think it was Paul Rand, that he um, wrote a note to Steve um, when Steve was asking, Steve Jobs was asking him to design his logo, and he was very much just like, I'll make you one logo or two logos or something, and you're going to pay me, and that's, you know, like, it was really fascinating, and I think um, I, I listened to Steve's um, biography, and he was Paul was mentioned in, in it uh, quite a bit actually, and I think he, it really rubbed off on on Steve because Steve was his powerhouse, and not many mm -hmm. people could sit there and say you are going to do this when I do this, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it took him back, and I think that was a for me when I listened to that too, it was a very strong power play. It's a very confident power play. Um, and, and to contrast that though, like you said, sometimes when you make something with a client and their feedback makes a better kind of experience or a better outcome, mm -hmm. um, I think there's also that too. So I find both of those processes really fascinating personally. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, I I was just really I really admire people that have their defined definition as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. And you can there's a confidence that comes behind it, you know. It's it's almost like a a very high level social mental game, you know. <laughs> it's not really the work necessarily, it's the interaction and the the bravery, I guess, in which these people are jumping into this like psychologic warfare almost, you know. It's fascinating stuff. Sure. I mean, I think you pinned it down in saying that, you know, it's complete confidence in your work and your ability that you could kind of just make one pitch and one pitch alone. Um, but I also think, you know, even Paul Rand had a certain level of clout at the time that oh yeah he was pitching that, that, um, you know. Well, he's at that level, you know. Exactly. Yeah. You, 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 and one thing I think to take away if you're listening to this and you're a student, I mean, go ahead and try that. Um, <laughs> it's up to you. You know, you might you might kill it and just be one of those people. And there are a lot of people out there that just come out of the gate and um, they, I mean, the thing is the closest thing I could equate to is like gangster rappers, you know, like I mm-hmm. feel like they they speak way more beyond who they actually are and what they're producing, what, who they're like. Um, people will probably hate me, but I'll say like Kanye West, for example, mm-hmm. like, I don't care, you know, but he'll tell everybody that I'm the greatest. If he says it a hundred times in one song, if you're a sheep, you're going to go, Oh, maybe he is the greatest, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to buy more of his crap, you know? So, and I, this is all subjection obviously, but some people that come out of the gate and they just approach their success and they're so strong and in, in who they are, you know, but uh, obviously Paul led a career of, I, from what I understand of um, developing that and getting to no, the point, I you mean, know? So I think on a certain level, I have like a deep appreciation for anyone who is unapologetic about <laughs> their work or who they are. Sure. Whether that be That's cool. Kanye West or Martha Stewart or, yeah. you know, there's just like, whether or not you agree or disagree with them, they're unapologetic about that. And that's what I appreciate. So yeah, I think Paul Rand had a similar, similar qualities. Do you think you'll get to that level of where you would be? Or (laughs) are you like that? Or, um, I no, I'm not, uh, at that level. I mean, as I mentioned, I think, um, well, I think my, my work tends to get better the longer that I'm able to work on it. Um, hmm, that's a good, so yeah. that often is enabled with kind of a typical client process where, you know, whether or not you're working on it for two weeks or two months, there's a, you know, there's so much back and forth that, you know, that's enabling those steps to kind of push the work forward and make it better. Hmm. Um, so to a certain extent, I kind of rely on that structure, um, to kind of get the work to the place that I want it to be. At the same time, I fantasize about um, in the future doing a lot more self-initiated work or independent work in which um, it's not dependent on a client. So I think I need to be in a place where kind of I get to that point independently. What's your ratio of client to personal work? Uh, So, I mean, pretty uneven at this point i would say i mean i i was working full-time at pentagram so and teaching at two different schools so a lot of my time was dedicated to that at the same time i think i express i have similar frustrations to you in terms of um i think a lot of people will um try to make the argument that you know even if it's a client project you should still be kind of 
you know, seeking for one element which pushes your own work forward, you know, if, even if it's just a small detail yeah. or kind of a big, big step that it's kind of pushing your work forward. I kind of question that. I think it's possible, but I think for me in a client relationship, those steps are too small. Hmm. Um, when I'm doing my own work, um, I feel like I'm pushing myself to much greater capacity than I can um working with others hmm. that kind of sounds terrible because i do really like collaboration yeah um, i don't think i get that feeling and i think that that, yeah. that feels completely different um types of interactions but um i kind of question um the impact you can have in terms of uh incrementally uh pushing your work within whether you're an in-house designer or working as a consultant um they it just feels feels like a looser connective tissue for me. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm kind of interested in doing more independent work in the future, even if it's harder to make it economically viable. Sure, sure. And I, that leap is always a very difficult one, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. un, it's unknown. And the unknown, for um, from my understanding, as a designer, your life is about molding the things around you to be form and fitting to what you like. So not having that understanding of, what that outcome is, it's, it's very daunting, you know, change and all that stuff. But I, I personally, um, when I decided to make a lot of change in my life, I personally never looked back uh, and so thankful that I did take the risk because I just live and I work from home. And um, yeah, How I can do whatever going? I want. <laughs> I've been doing it um, for, I'm trying to think now, it's almost four years now. Oh, wow. Um, it's great. You know, the part of the, me having the podcast is actually being able to have that interaction with other creative minds because I do get stuck in isolation. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just with my daughter my dog and my wife a lot and they don't want to talk about art all the time either. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're maybe, but not nearly at the level that I'd like to dive into because I'm constantly studying it. Um, but I, I really personally love it. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't think twice ever about, taking the leap. Um, it's been incredibly challenging because you have to be so many things, you know, you realize mm -hmm. that when you work at a company, how many cogs in the wheel it takes to make the thing spin producers to, um, you know, just people taking care of the daily grind of what things are or creative directing and, and art directing, designing, concepting, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like wearing all those hats at once. It's, 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 it's daunting at, at times, but I really appreciate, I really enjoy it personally. So, um, so I, I guess I was, uh, I thought that even as an independent designer, you were kind of still consulting with teams or are you kind of completely independent free floating from the projects that you work on? Yeah, as of now, I mean, it's really, I um, feel really special in a special place in my career where I just build the teams um, based oh, on wow. people that I love their work. And um, mm -hmm. I've actually just got to the point where I have um, collaborators and people of very high levels being able to reach out to me and trust me with big projects, you know, mm -hmm. um, like, I, I guess I could probably talk about this one because it is really next week. It's the biggest thing I've ever done. Um, career-wise, and it was an amazing experience. I actually got to direct Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, and it oh, wow. did a crazy, amazing thing for um, Ridley Scott's next film, The Martian, wow. but it's like an episode oh, wow. of The Cosmos, basically. Um, That's great. <laughs> it was a crazy amount of work, but the, 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 the beautiful thing about the process of it, well, there was so many amazing moments, but 
um, I had been reached out by the client basically. And it was one of the first times, usually what happens, I get contacted by like a motion house or a design house or people that need help, um, at a studio and very, very rarely is it the client or a direct to the client or, you know, like I'm, I'm two, I'm, I'm one person away from Ridley sky. I'm right there with Neil Tyson. So I'm much closer, you know, mm-hmm. and that's taken so much time, obviously, like I said, four years of just pure grinding away at it. But, um, yeah, the ex- experience is just insane. It's, I think it's, it's going to be released on Tuesday and I've been working on it off and on for about four or five months or so and put the team together for my section of it and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a dream project. Um, it was very t- challenging though, you know, <laughs> like, cause it is a dream project, right? And you want yeah. it to be this perfect, you know, you want to send your kid to kindergarten with, you know, all the right gear and everything's set up and you're fretting about every moment and, you know, when it's out there, what's going to happen. And, you know, and it's, um, it's very daunting at the same time. It's very rewarding. So with great risk comes great reward. And, um, yeah, this is, this, like I said, it's in my career, it's the biggest thing I've ever done easily hands down Mm -hmm. as far as like the stage in which it takes, because it's going to be very big. I think it's going to be a very special thing for people to really enjoy. So, uh, but yeah, that's, so it's kind of, that's what, but in terms of like process, that's what you've been kind of reaching towards is kind of a more one-on-one interaction with either a director or the creative, um, to kind of cut through a team structure so that you're working more one-on-one with people, or this was really just kind of the scale of the project and being able to lead a team, uh, I just love being around brilliant people to be completely honest, you know, <laughs> Okay. It, like it, it's, 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 I'm trying to pin it down and give you a direct one, but I, I just, you know, um, I just love being around really great people and smart people and people that will advance me and push me as well. And I can push them as well. Um, creatively, um, you know, m- personally and all that stuff. I, I just thrive on that personally. Um, it, to me, it's people, you know, like it's, it's all about people. It's what we're doing. And this is a people thing, you know, um, socializing and, and treading these waters of getting these, uh, you know, it's very hard to get something created that doesn't exist, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically mm-hmm. that's what this project is. It's Neil Tyson. And, you know, if you were to see the green screen and then the light crew and all that stuff behind it, there's really no magic there, but everything that we've infused into that and everybody's hard work and my team that put that, all that extra love in there to make it feel real and immersive and this like deep, you know, reality, quote unquote, you know, it's really challenging, you know? Um, but yeah, I think for me personally, I'm always just, I love working with really brilliant people. Um, that in that exchange, you know, like, I, I really wish I would have had a chance to meet Steve Jobs or something, you know, like how cool would that be? There's, mm-hmm. a, I really want to work with Elon Musk at some point or just meet him, you know, because I, I love prolific people. I love, um, that exchange, understanding it, you know, like when you're around those kind of people, there's an energy that they give off. When I was in like Neil Tyson's presence, for example, he's such a charismatic um, just mm-hmm. awesome person, you know, and it was just so great to be able to be in his space and that energy is so cool, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just enjoying that and stuff. So and that's how it is for me. So, so I, I'm curious kind of in this scenario where, you know, you have a green screen and your team is there to kind of visualize a new reality or something that hasn't been seen before, kind of what is that typical process? Kind of, you mentioned it briefly in terms of you start, um, 
kind of take a step back and do small sketches and, uh, uh, you know, think on a more conceptual level. But I, I'm always curious, especially once it gets to science fiction or kind of um, any other alternate reality, kind of how are those things visualized? Oh, it's such a process, you know, it's like an arduous process. <laughs> like it, it's so intense. I, this project actually, um, my friend, Chris Iman from 3AM, he's a co-director on this and creative mm-hmm. director. He had this really awesome, um, concept and pitch and idea. And he kind of had the main, uh, backbone of the actual project itself kind of established, um, so then he came to me and we had a lot of really great, he, he was just a wonderful person to collaborate with because he could have easily said no or, um, had a heavy ego, but he didn't, he was all about getting the best thing that we could and, um, trusting my own instincts as well. And so we would kind of massage everything else that was, that was maybe needed a little bit of love or, you know, this transition would be great if it did this. How about that? What do you think of this? And then, so it would go from the ideas, the concept, the written treatment to storyboards, the storyboards goes to an animatic. We see how it flows. You know, we just have the still images. We have like a, a temp a piece of music. We feel out how that all flows and, and, and the energy of that. And then kind of go a little bit further. Um, we start doing tests and stuff and um, kind of graphic tests like, OK, well, this is what this is going to look over Earth. Like, how does Earth look in this piece? What is the color of Earth? You know, um, mm-hmm. and then diving deeper into that and just building and the amount of work that's created that gets, doesn't get seen or, or is even uh, shown or revealed is just incredible. It's insane because we only show, when it actually comes out, we only show just maybe 10% of all the work that it, it's almost like yeah. a, a massive uh, mountain that's just, just the peaks coming out of the ocean floor, you know, out, out into the, out into the top of the uh, above sea level, you know. Um, but the process itself is very much, um, kind of a chaotic form of just controlling madness, really, you know, schedules, trying to schedule Neil deGrasse Tyson's time, who's incredibly busy. And the project was like, so in limbo all over the place. And it's just like very, ah, uh, like I wanted to like, I don't have any hair cause I shaved my head, but like I wanted to pull <laughs> hair off of my face or something. And I was, just, it was literally the hair was jumping off my body because of that. So, <laughs> but no, I mean the process for that example is, is a very big one. There's many hands involved. There's many people, um, and there's many decisions being made and stuff. So super challenging, but, and then, you know, smaller ones that are completely different. I'm doing something for Adobe with my friend, Michael, and it's just him and I really, and I have, Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Angus who's composing it. So, and that's a different thing, but, but I'm also, perhaps I'm curious the way that you work too. Do you like to work solo or do you enjoy the process of working with a team of designers as well? Or you mentioned like you do enjoy the back and forth of working with a client. How is that for you? I mean, is that what, where do you enjoy like in the process? What's your, your favorite part of it? Uh, I think, uh, I actually, to be completely honest, do prefer working on my own. Um, maybe that's because I'm slightly introverted and I prefer just kind of sitting at my computer. Um, but, uh, I think a lot of those decisions precisely because they are subjective um, when it becomes uh, a very specific 
kind of independent piece. I kind of just prefer working on my own. Hmm. Um, at the same time, I think once you get into projects with scale or kind of complexity, as you're describing with this Neil deGrasse Tyson episode, it's like you kind of have to have those teams built up so that you can precisely accomplish what you had in mind. Yeah. Um, it becomes bigger, bigger yeah. than anything that you could do alone, you know? Exactly. Um, there's something really beautiful and wonderful about being isolated though too, you know? So that's why I'm saying I'm so con- I'm, I don't have one, one answer cause it's all what I feel that day. You know, I'm building a video game with my friend Ryan. It's my friend Ryan and I We're building a huge video game and it's just that experience is so much fun, you know? What is it going to be like? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm trying not to say anything about it to sure. anybody because I like to keep it. I want it to be this thing that when we drop it, it's going to be very unique, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a unique experience. It's, it's, it's a cool one. It's a fun <laughs> one. Like it's supposed like I'm basically paying homage to all the things that I, it's basically, it's like a lost boy, but it's video games. And then I'm creating it with my friend Ryan, but it's okay. paying homage to the games that I grew up on that I love, you know, yeah, fun gameplay, simple gameplay, nonviolent. It's, it's interesting and, and enjoyable. And it, it doesn't just activate your frontal cortex. It's activating your entire mind, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. creating memories and it's doing something for the game player, which I think is unique. You know, I'm trying to create a unique, unique experience. So that's kind of what it is. And, just being fascinated about about it you know like i never made a game so why not try it because that's cool you know like why why not try this because it seems it seems very hard so you know let's go right into it (laughs) and see what happens you know and it's incredibly hard i must say (laughs) but it's, it's good though yeah you seem to have like such a myriad of projects and kind of endless curiosity i am interested in kind of what What's something that you haven't done yet that you want to do? Oh, well, I haven't. <laughs> like you're directed. doing a video game. You're doing yeah. directing. You're doing podcasts. What's, <laughs> what's next on the roster? Well, I haven't made a book yet, and I okay. haven't written a book yet. So I'm doing. And those are two things on my list. Actually, I'm working on um, one of the the books ideas that I'm trying to develop is some kind of tool to help people understand how to like extract the most amazing things about themselves and convey that to the world. So, but that's a very challenging thing becomes very subjective. And I don't want to become part of those people. That's like, you know, self-help books, you know, like Mm -hmm. help you through I'm trying to find a way of being very genuine about it and making it so that it's a case study, you know, that's applicable. So I haven't made a book. I haven't, um, I haven't, well, yeah, I haven't made a book yet. So that's kind of something, I mean, that book, a media book is kind of, it's dying down and I want to catch it before it's completely dead. (laughs) So that's kind of one of the things that I'm really interested in doing. They're, they're bigger. I think doing these things, but I, I think they're just, um, I don't know if you're the same way, but, oh, I've accomplished that. Okay. Like, all right, I hiked that hill. Okay, oh, that one I'm looking in the distance. It's a little bit taller than this one. I can tell. I'm going to go mm-hmm. over there. And, and Oh, that one's a little bit bigger. Okay, I'm going to go over there. Oh, that one's huge. I'm going to try and tackle that one, you know. Mm-hmm. And those huge mountains and the trial and error and who you become at, by the time you get to the top is really um, interesting. You know, I, I find myself, you know, and being the person that I never thought I would be at times, you know, completely stressed, sometimes a complete asshole, you know, because I have no sleep nothing's working out and I have no way of communicating that properly, you know, or like moments where I'm in complete bliss because I'm at the top, you know? So 
Mm-hmm. It's that process, I suppose, and always being curious, you know, are you considered, would you consider yourself always to be curious, always to be striving for, um, just what is discovering your own unknown and kind of. Sure. I mean, I think it's just, it's, uh, a lot easier to be endlessly curious in design. Um, just because, especially if you're working with a number of different projects at once, that means you're working with a number of different, um, you know, disciplines, business sectors kind of, um, and then, and then working closely with them, you actually start to understand, um, their perspective, their line of work, kind of their expertise. Um, so you're kind of constantly learning new subject matter, yeah. um, which is one of the things I really like about design. So you're both learning new subject matter. And at the same time, I think design generalist designers kind of have a possibility for kind of a lifelong career of multidisciplinary projects. Um, kind of one of the interviews I was recently reading, uh, kind of was talking about how a lot of designers today fantasize about kind of uh, not defining themselves as graphic designers, but kind of as interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary designers. And Hmm. they were, they noted, you know, this wasn't, this isn't a unique idea. You know, if you think back on even Charles and Ray Eames, like their practice was completely multidisciplinary. They were designing homes and, you know, they were traditional graphic designers and designing furniture. And it's just like um, to have that kind of variety across, uh, you know, a lifetime is something that um, I think design really allows for and facilitates. Hmm. Um, Yeah. It's a good point. And I think that's definitely unique to, to that experience too. And Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> there's, I love this conversation. It's, it's gotten so multifaceted and unique. Um, there's so many things that we're diving into that are really, like I said, are very hard to convey. Even if you're trying to read this, if you try to read this conversation in a, in a written interview, I think it would be really, ugh, you know, like, <laughs> ugh, like get to the point, give me the, but I think the convey. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've made very many points. We've kind of just <laughs> like meandered across various abstractions, but. But that's kind of the, what this is though. It's just, you know, <laughs> meandering process of, of, of self-evaluation and exploration all tied into one, which I find to be fascinating, you know, because there is no right answer. As we said, um, the right answer, I think, resides in you the person you know like the creator you know and um i could be wrong and people could say no and they can have their opinions but that's just my approach to it you know and um i don't know i find it to be fascinating one thing i think that i'd really love to talk with you about is presenting your work because you have an amazing way of presenting your work i think you and uh, have um two really uh, well a couple of design friends out here that are really awesome i've known them for a long time my friend sam and coop they have this website or there's their company called wedge and lover have you ever heard of them i haven't yeah if you check out their work i think you'd really dig it they have a, a really cool way of presenting their work and they do, um, I would consider very high level design as far as like my understanding of design, um, mm-hmm. but in a unique, d- different way within con- the confines of like, you know, client kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but presenting your work, um, how important is it to you and kind of like where, 
where does that fit in with your complete process of making work? I mean, um, like I said, I, I think that you've been able to really present your work in a very professional and clean manner. Um, has that helped you and, and how important is it to present your work properly? Um, it's a really kind of tough question for me because I think this gets to um, a certain predicament I have with design or I think um, I think presentation of work is obviously very important, especially for young designers, you know, seeking a job or, you know, seeking new projects. Um, and I think um, obviously there's a lot of value to, to presenting your work with uh, in a professional way. Um, what's interesting is I think there's kind of um, uh the designers I appreciate the most whose work I really look towards and kind of admire and really are deeply influential are the people who actually don't have websites who mm-hmm. like, it's really hard to access their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to go buy their book or buy the book that they designed, or, you know, you have to go see them lecture because they don't place value on that type of commercial circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens like young designers, European designers, I think it's kind of across the board where kind of these people at the top of their fields, um, just perennially don't distribute their work, um, which I think is super interesting because I think for some of the younger designers, it becomes a question of they have such a good network of friends and relations that they have a very sustainable design practice without needing to publicize their work. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think a lot of designers feel that obligation to have a personal portfolio website precisely because we are in a commercial profession. Mm-hmm. And like in order to be known by art directors or creative directors, um, a website definitely helps. It's kind of mandatory at this point. Well, that's brought this podcast, you know, so, you know. <laughs> but I think for me, it, it's just, uh, I'm kind of, I only hesitantly publish my work because I am aware of, you know, it's allowed me to meet a lot of new people and explore different opportunities. I've been able to do kind of illustrations because art directors knew about me. So I think it's opened a lot of doors and I see the value in that. At the same time, I think... Um, uh, I worry that um, a lot of the loudest voices in design, especially in New York, um, tend towards self-promotion rather than focusing on the work itself. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm. And so that's where it gets into this territory of like the designers who I admire the most and who are the smartest and most critical and kind of deeply engaged in the work um, don't value the same... uh, you know, commercial enterprises, whether that be a conference or, you know, in a design association. And so they've kind of opted out of those established means. Um, and I kind of appreciate that on some level precisely because they've just kind of uh, completely uh, withdrawn from any type of promotion at all. Yeah. Um, it's about the work and that and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I it's think like it punk really rock. just becomes about the work rather <laughs> than about a persona. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah because you have to carry a persona when you're doing professional stuff you know yeah in a sense yeah i think once it reaches the persona level um the work starts to suffer and also it's just not something that 
is as interesting. And I think it's hard to achieve because once you get the persona status, it's hard to even talk about the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a weird thing that happens, right? You know, it's like this weird, uh, <laughs> it gets really complicated psychologically and, uh, yeah, you get kind of lost in that ether and it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, I personally had no choice in my understanding and I love utilizing the internet personally for my own endeavors and goals and searching, finding teammates and, and, and having clients find me, for example, like you said, or like I found you for, to do the podcast based off of like the work that I'd seen that you had presented on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is leads us to this conversation. So, but at the same time, I find that to be fascinating that you kind of, you know, great designers out there that are doing great work are living it within, you know, their own bubble and kind of, um, not necessarily using, utilizing this new form of media too. Cause there's two sides to that. There's people that are completely obsessed with it, like you said, and then there's people that aren't, and that's really fascinating to me, you know, and how they're doing it. They're obviously doing it, you know, it's all decision, you know, Sagmeister, we, as we talked is a person that makes those kind of decisions, you know, mm-hmm. um, Paul Rand and all that stuff as well. It's like you say, okay, I'm going to jump and that's it. And I'm jumping, you know, (laughs) and then, you know, I'm going to deal with what happens when I land, you know, when I land, if I do land, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I guess that's, that to me, that's pretty cool. No, I mean, I agree completely. There's like a deeply functional and useful aspect to presenting your work online. And I really deeply appreciate kind of the people who I've been able to meet um, via Twitter, via email because of the, my portfolio site. Yeah. Um, I think um, one of the things that, uh, you know, I try to avoid is just, um, I think the, the people who I meet who are interesting and engaged and have a level of criticality about design, those kind of interactions often happen offline. Yeah. So if that's kind of the medium to which, you know, if that's, if that's the segue, if my portfolio site allows me to have that in-person conversation with that really great, amazing designer, um, then I'll keep having my portfolio site for that, <laughs> for that reason. Sure. Um, I think a lot of times though, it kind of just ends online. Um, and that's just kind of, uh, a close, a close loop for me. Hmm. Um, it's kind of these conversations where you can kind of dig deeper and kind of have a more meaningful conversation with someone about design that, um, that makes it, um, worthwhile. Yeah. I think if anything, it opens up doors, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for not closing doors and allowing things to become what they are um, and just throwing things out there. And like I said, I think use, utilizing the Internet, I think it's just like it's a, like a hey, you know, hey, world, I'm right here. You know, do you ever fear um, like oversharing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, I've had quite a few times where I personally have been um, replicated, you know, oh, and, really? and it's just part of the thing and at first I'm like what the fuck you know like why can't you think on your own but at mm-hmm. the same time I go well you know I used to do the same thing but I just wouldn't show it publicly and take take um 
there's been people that directly rip my stuff off and take full credit for it. And I go, that's sad to be you though. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel sad actually for you. That's where I'm upset. Um, but so yeah, as far as sharing. So even for example, like my lost boy thing, when that was happening or there's other things, um, I'd go, damn, I would want to be recluse, you know? Ah, well, Mm -hmm. because if, if you're going to take all the steam away from me, by the time I release it, it's not going to be special. And that's some kind of weird insecurity. I think I have, I think it'll, it will, if I just continue to put my heart and soul into it, no matter what, nobody can beat that, you know, at least from my perspective. So Mm -hmm. there is a double edged sword to that, you know, by sharing too much, you could be revealing too much like magic you know but it's like i said every day i wake up i'm conflicted with these things you know who am i am i the magician or am i the magician that um isn't the magician the 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 craftsman you know Mm -hmm. who's Mm -hmm. waking up today and who's doing what today you know and how am i conveying these ideas that preside inside my head to the audience, which I'm trying to communicate with, you know? So, cause at the end of the day too, I consider this just to be communication at a, at a different level, you know, cause that's what I th- think of design to be. Um, it's just communication mm-hmm. in a very interesting form, you know? So conveying an, an idea or emotion or energy or whatever, but, but back to the design and how you're conveying your work. I just, um, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, we'll have a link to your work check it out because I think there's something really beautiful, obviously about the way that you're presenting your work because it's very, it allows you to consume it. Basically it's the way that you've laid it out and stuff. It allows you to consume the imagery with ease and it conveys your information. And it, for me personally, it's, it's, it's great. I love it when I can go and interact with somebody's work in a very simple manner you know i'm also into design of interaction so it's minimal clicks to basically get me to what i'm looking for you know so yeah i mean i mean i design websites for clients and yet i always feel designers personal portfolio sites should really just be simple so that the images can speak for themselves yes um you know for me, when I'm looking at other designers' sites, um, whether, you know, I'm about to collaborate with someone, you know, I really just want to see the work. So as long, you know, for me, I appreciate when it's kind of stripped down and bare bones just so that you can see what the work actually is. Yeah, clarity, I think, is essential, So, which is good, though. Well, that's it's interesting, though, your standpoint on this. Is there a time in your career that you felt that you've been replicated or sharing too much was a, a hindrance to you in your career? Or? Uh, well, I think sharing too much, you know, you, you could have a whole separate conversation about social <laughs> media. Um, yeah. and I think I have, I'm probably one of the more private people on social media. Um, yeah. I really only like sharing information. <laughs> yeah. Um, and save I've you, you kind think? of called out on that before, but, um, in terms of people replicating my work, I've had, uh, like three to four instances now where it was like a direct ripoff. <laughs> and I think the first time you kind of take it as a compliment, you're like, wow, I kind of did something that, you know, yep. someone thought was interesting or beautiful and they wanted to see if they could do it. And then you kind of reach that point, which you reached where it's like, okay, I understand that this is part of a designer's education where, you know, replication is actually important 
tool for learning how to do certain things. Yes. Um, at the same time, like you have to keep those exercises private rather than public. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I think in most of the cases in which I've been replicated, they just kind of published it as a as a direct one off. Some cases for commercial, most wow. cases actually, yeah, uh, for commercial profit, which um, was also deeply troubling. Um, it hurts even so more. Think, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think that gets back to this, uh, kind of qualm I have that, you know, I want to be creating work that isn't replicatable. And yet at the same time, once you try to achieve a certain originality, you end up being riffs and, you know, people copy your work. So it's kind of, or you um, push so hard that people hate it. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're ahead of the curve, you know? <laughs> You know, that sucks. It's not a part, it's not close to the current trend of what appeals to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's always a struggle too. you know, being a person that's on the edge, the cusp of what's great, um, and pushing that, you know, it's all taste. I, you ever have a moment in your life where, um, cause you, you said you got kind of serious about design at a later time in your life. Do you ever have a moment where, you know, you, you reflect on something that you once thought was not very good or, and then as you develop and grow as a person, you go, wow, that was actually pretty brilliant or that was pretty amazing. I have it a lot personally because as I mature and understand the world around me, I've always had opinions, um, but then they become more educated, you know? So you find that retroactively you thought kind of previous work or opinions were actually stronger than you thought of at the time? Yeah, I would just look at like, let's say, um, like a, a, an artist, a creative, um, somebody that would do something abstract or something at the time when I was younger at digesting art, I was digesting as a normal consumer, like comic books, mm. for example, that's mm -hmm. art. That's what I consider. That's really artistic. That's great. Oh, what the hell is that? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't even look good, you know? And then diving deeper when I was in art history, I had an amazing teacher in my art history class in college. He's so passionate. And he really opened my eyes and my mind to the power of these other artists and seeing it's not necessarily the actual art that they created. It's actually the person that I started to fall in love with the understanding of the story behind what made that what it is, you know, studying mm -hmm. Rembrandt, for example, the trials and tribulations, the, the horrible sadness of his life, you know. And seeing that in the sullen eyes in his paintings and understanding like, wow, he is really living in a very dark moment. And you can, it, that can be conveyed, you know, I think I've always loved Rembrandt, but that's because he's an artist that creates a, a literal or literal example of things, but I'm going more towards the abstract side of things, you know, and that's where I think it becomes not necessarily about the, the product of the art at the end of it, it's, I mean, that, that's of course always what it is, but it's more or less the journey of that human being, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me, you know? No, I mean, I think going back to where you started, I think um, there are a number of different kind of specific cases where kind of when you're first introduced to them, you kind of discard them or discount them, uh, especially when you think about, you know, what's been classified as high versus low culture, um, whether that be, you know, comic books being, you know, more accessible and therefore not elevated to an art form or, or another type of example. But I think um, 
there have been a number of cases for that. And I think, you know, I could say in a more general sense, uh, for me, design was that way precisely because I kind of rediscovered it um, later than 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 others. Um, things which, you know, you kind of have overlooked, whether that be typefaces or typography or um, layout and kind of all of these things kind of I reapproached later in life and kind of took a new perspective on that it could be kind of elevated to an art form. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I think that you've actually started as a kind of like an established human being and then kind of getting that perspective. I always convey the idea if you're ever to try drugs, you should do it when you're a mature adult. <laughs> so you know who you are because the experience will be better. Um, at least that's what I think because I didn't do any drugs until I was like 30 or so, you know, and cause I was just, a f I was so fearful of it. I was completely against it. Um, but you know, realizing that's really nothing. I mean, as long as it's like a, not a crazy experience for you, you know, but, but setting it up, designing that experience for yourself and making mm -hmm. it a unique experience, something special, spiritual exchange and stuff like that, you know, um, which I find to be fascinating too, you know, but, um, it's almost in the same kind of conversation that you're talking about though it's like having that perspective from a different point of view and what that does and kind of how that communicates with you as a person you know because you you can have um you can start you know with design as a child you know um, understanding it and where does that lead you eventually you know and i think like a lot of this personally i think a lot of it's all subjective there's no strong real right or wrong for my opinion mm -hmm. you know it's like mm -hmm. you could be somebody that is raised under the house of one of the best designers and that's all you do and that's what you live and that's your thing you know um whether it's good or bad and the things that you create whether they're good or bad or you can be somebody that starts when they're 60 years old and just kills it because they have this <laughs> life of of experience you know that fuels the decisions in which they make you know so and that's the real freaking crazy beauty about this stuff, you know, <laughs> no matter how hard and deep I dive into trying to analyze it and really dissect it and define what's right and wrong. It's like, it's like ushering kittens into a box or something. It's just like, it's impossible, you know? <laughs> I mean, don't you find that frustrating then to kind of perpetually be asking these questions, yes. even knowing that there's never going to be a definite answer. Well, I feel very, it's very close to how I feel about religion and my, okay. my sensation with spirituality. Cause I don't really formally believe in any God really necessarily. And so I have the same kind of contemplative thoughts. I'm like, you know, what is it? You know, how do I answer these questions? But, um, I just kind of, I, I think the, so I don't go insane. I just kind of resolve with the idea that, well, it's, it, maybe it'll reveal itself in time and the time being, I just have to deal with it the fact that it isn't <laughs> and it's okay. You know, not everything yeah. should be known. I shouldn't know the magic trick to the universe. Yeah. Maybe that's, <laughs> if I did, then I maybe perhaps life would be very, you know, blah. Yeah. Maybe not. No. Yeah. I think in like, for me, I kind of share a similar state where both in terms of religion and in terms of kind of anything in which you're asking these kind of, endless questions towards you kind of just have to have a certain satisfaction or resolve that you'll be in a lifetime of cognitive dissonance so yeah, yeah. like you that in and of itself just acknowledging that it's going to be kind of an endless state of kind of oscillating between 
asking questions or in the case of religion, oscillating between belief and doubt that, you know, there's some kind of reassurance that at least you know what state you'll be in, even if you won't actually find answers. Yeah, I guess that's the blind faith, you know, and um, that's always what it comes down to. You know, anytime I have a deep conversation with somebody that has a, uh, a deeply connection with their own personal God, it always ends up with the idea that, well, I have my own experience with this thing and this is what I feel. And, and then it's the same thing. It's subjection. It's like, well, I can't, I can't really judge you, you know, like, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to believe, then that's fine. I have no problem with that. And to go into that, it's like, as long as you're not imposing that on myself or people that don't want that imposed upon themselves and go for it, you know? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one though, for sure. And not having answers, uh, to the questions that I'm desiring answers for, I think that in, in itself makes the journey that much more rich, you know, it's like knowing that I won't and just being okay with that and just experiencing every day of, as, as a curious child mind. I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that's, uh, it's taxing, but at the same time, it's really cool because you'll never get tired of the subject, you know, mm-hmm. always be exploring, always being curious, you know, I think that's what makes really great scientists too and and mathematicians and stuff as Mm, well. I think mm -hmm. that's what makes great human beings to be completely honest, you know. Perpetual curiosity? I think so. There's two sides of that coin though, right? It's like if you're always curious, um, you'll never be satisfied. And so you got to be cautious of what you get fulfillment in your life, you know. Um, And then the other side of it is that you will be desiring more, you know, um, what's that one saying, um, man's, uh, reach extends or exceeds his grasp or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing that goes and coincides with our ability, our ability to, uh, I'm really trying to be cautious. I've been listening to people's interviews and everybody says our, our, not <laughs> our, and I'm trying not to, I've noticed it myself and removing the word like, Cause it drives me fucking nuts now. <laughs> the more that I listen to interviews, sorry, another segue. No, no, no. I think once you become aware of that, it's, uh, it's like a punch in the yeah. ear. It's like, ah, yeah. damn, you said R like a pirate. And then I hear somebody very, uh, highly sought after being a knowledgeable human being. They're R, R, everything. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just a weird habit though, but I digress. But no, I think just being curious is a very unique thing, I think for us humans. And I think that's really what's led us to be doing what we are doing. But like I said, it's a double-edged sword, you know, do you consider yourself to be a, a very curious person or interested in many things and trying new things and constantly trying to, I don't know, reach beyond your grasp, I suppose. I mean, I do. I mean, I think everyone aspires to be at the at a very fundamental level. I think what I um, what I question about perpetual curiosity is I feel like very few people achieve kind of a full breadth of kind of interests. Mm-hmm. So I think I I'm curious. My curiosity tends to revolve around you know specific subject areas, whether that be art or literature or philosophy or history and things like that, things which I already have a kind of a fundamental knowledge of um, and kind of want to explore deeper to. At the same time, like, I would love to know more about astronomy or, you know, uh, political history and kind of uh, history of international history and things like that, which, like, I have less foundational knowledge of, and yet I find myself 
um, not dedicating as much time to those disciplines as I would like. It's interesting. Um, (laughs) So I think like there is this kind of curiosity and you kind of have aspirations to kind of um, explore a wide range of disciplines, I think, but on a kind of realistic level, I end up like revolving back to the things which currently interest me, you know, whether that be architecture or film or things like that. Um, so I guess I'm still kind of struggling to kind of find that balance between like exploring things which are completely foreign and completely new that I know nothing about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you ever find that, or do you find that you've kind of achieved your curiosity extends to all subject areas? No, hardly so far (laughs) from it. Yeah. You mentioned like astronomy, for example. And when I was a child, that's all I wanted to, I was really fascinated with it. Just get books and just read about it learn about Mars or just far off Mm -hmm. galaxies, multiverse and stuff. I mean, that stuff still to this day is just crazy. If you really start studying, um, if you go down, if you really want to go down a deep rabbit hole, like get into like string theory, for example, mm-hmm. like just shit that'll break your mind because you can, um, if you can get a source that you can, it allows you to digest it properly. Like somebody that's actually a human being that's conveying the complex, uh, concepts of what string theory is. So like I would start with Wikipedia, for example, that's <laughs> where I usually start with a lot of this stuff. And then I go, Oh, okay. I get like the surface level, like, uh, explanation, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, a normal person. And then, uh, then I go, okay, what's that theory? And I boom, boom, boom. And then I, before I know it, I'm like, is this reality? Are we living reality? You know, are we in a simulation? Could, like, who's to say we're not, you know, and asking mm-hmm. those kind of questions. And so kind of what I was getting at with that is I think curiosity builds brilliant minds though. I personally feel it does. And, um, the testament to that is like, let's use, um, you know, Einstein, for example, an incredibly curious human being through and through, you know, what is this? How does this work? Why doesn't that work? What's this theory? How does light work? How does light transfer? How does, what's the speed of this? You know, um, Mm -hmm. curiosity into the farthest depths of understanding it to this, to the point where it becomes this abstract symbol system, you know, (laughs) that is only understood on a very high level of, of cognitive understanding, you know? That's really fascinating. And how can, how can we use that and implement that into design? How can we use that, implement that into storytelling? You know, what is that? You know, that's what gets me up and gets me excited, you know, on the very highest level, I guess, you know, (laughs) and I think it's really important to be, um, like in love with these things, you know, fascinated by the things that you don't know anything about. Like you said, I think it's good. No, I mean, I think... I mean, so I think I've, the past three or four months or so, I've kind of uh, been thinking about curiosity in a slightly different way, but just kind of how do you actually still instill uh, a childlike curiosity uh, as you approach the world? Yeah. Because I think one of the things I've been thinking about is just like, you know, as you walk down a city street, kind of how many kind of scientific or kind of engineered uh interactions do you experience and yet i feel like a lot of kind of those fundamental basic knowledge you know i would love to kind of learn more about um and yet i feel like i pass through my day kind of on a more surface level without really questioning how things work why things work how the how the way things are um so for me it's kind of 
I would love to ask those questions just so that I have a deeper understanding of kind of the world around me yeah. and how it functions. Um, but lens. I think it's hard to kind of keep that like um, level of inquiry um, <laughs> when you kind of are so used to kind of your daily routine. Yes. Yeah. It's like you have to be, uh, I look at it like you have to live in the gray zone. You have to be a <laughs> bit of black. You have to be a bit of white and you have to mix them together. And depending on how strong you are, you can experience all three of the spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then you can actually open up color, you know, then you have a complete different prism of, of, of experiences, you know, and, and, um, but that's all a decision and a choice. Like you said, being, uh, amazed by like, say walking down a city street, you could literally spend, you know, your entire life sifting through the nuances and beauty of everything that exists on that one street, you know, which is so small in comparison (laughs) to the universe and then the possible multiverse, which we're discovering Mm -hmm. if it's possible that we are in a multiverse, you know, there might be this conversation happening somewhere in a destination that we have no concept (laughs) of what it is in time and space, you know, like, fuck, it's crazy, fascinating (laughs) stuff, you know, and how, why not put that into your work, that curiosity, Mm -hmm. but it's all the lens of, of which you view your own reality, you know? I find to be fascinating and stuff. So, and that's just your own perspective and going back to kind of our kind of discussion through this conversation about defining what design is, defining what good design is almost in our own understanding, but at the same time, what fuels that kind of experience, you know, we -hmm. talked a little bit, I, I wanted to know kind of beyond this kind of this these kind of other conversations what what really fascinates you in life like at at this point right now in your life and your career what what really excites you and fascinates you i mean you mentioned a little bit about astronomy and, and knowing political sciences and stuff um is there one subject or thing that's like you're just like wow i'm very curious of this like how does this work um i mean i think i'm definitely interested in those kind of as a human being trying to understand the world and how it works. Um, I think for me, kind of what uh, interests me in terms of how it kind of fuels back into design is I've kind of really become fascinated with architecture. And I know that that's kind of more relevant to design, but um, I love kind of investigating how things are made and kind of how things are designed. And I think part of it is just, I want to be able to design my own space uh, or public spaces in the future. Hmm. Um, But it's something in which kind of goes back to this idea of kind of not just being labeled as a graphic designer, but um, kind of identifying more as a generalist designer who kind of could design a poster or a book or a website, but who could also design, uh, you know, a space, whether that be a business or a church or a museum. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I want to go back to architecture school, but I think um, kind of having a more varied palette really interests me. Interesting. Um, Like a world builder then? (laughs) Uh, Sure. (laughs) Because you're augmenting the world around you, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, that's what architecture really is at its core. I would consider that's what it is. Mm-hmm. it's reality augmentation you may would you ever consider getting into like virtual reality because that's in my form of business like that's definitely i think where everything's going you know the sure. people are going to be mean, living think, in that you know yeah it's a s- super interesting and exciting territory right now virtual reality yeah. um i think part of it i'm still like 
slightly terrified by it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mainly just because I think visually it'll be remarkable and experientially <laughs> as well. But yeah. I think I worry kind of about the more logistical questions of kind of what happens to kind of person-to-person interactions um, when we're all kind of living in a virtual space, even if we're meeting each other in a virtual space. Um, I think there's a level of uh, escapism there that... um, Tons of it. You know, I already see myself practicing, whether it be watching a movie at night or reading a book, kind of trying to escape the world that I think um, can kind of... Uh, virtual reality will really just uh, latch on to those kind of deeper escapist tendencies. Um, so that's one thing that's like slightly terrifying. At the same time, I think it's um, it's super exciting. I, I For me, kind of the basic introduction that I watched was at the most recent Facebook conference, their F8 conference, where they kind of showed the new Oculus oh. and kind of described how the metaverse. You know, yeah, they're creating If we it. think about our kind of physical, the physical qualities of perception, everything is already kind of contextual and kind of um, these things can be augmented and it can be virtual because everything we're already seeing around us is um, in some way or another dependent upon kind of the qualities around it. Um, I think for me, it's just that question of kind of what happens to those in-person interactions um, if we actually end up preferring a virtual existence. Sure. Escapism is totally there and that's definitely something to consider. And it's also, it's interesting that they, so it sounds like they publicly stated that we're living in a simulation. So originality Mm -hmm. is, which is also very unique and interesting. Second reality basically is upon its rise right now and people are going to be definitely escapism. We have it also with films and movies and television and books, Mm -hmm. you know, even books at this example. I think maybe we're coming from like more of an older school standpoint of this is change. Is this change good or bad? And Mm -hmm. it's very good to be cognizant of what these changes are going to do to people uh, ourselves as well. And kind of what, you know, like, for example, if you walk down in that same city street that we talked about. I would say 60% of those people will be either talking on their phone with their head down in their phone um, or experiencing their phone in some form of technology. Um, I think uh, maybe I should do the numbers, but I, it looks like it to be like 70, 30, 70% people are interacting with their technology, very engrossed in it and mm-hmm. 30% mm-hmm. who are actually outside of that. The, uh, the oddity and the interesting thing is that, um, you know, uh, having working in this industry, it's like, Oh, 3d or 4k HD and blah, blah, blah. And I go, you know what? Go look at the fucking world because the world is better than all this stuff. You know, like <laughs> if you want to experience that, go and do that. But at the same time, you can't fly, you know? So why don't you put this thing on? You can go fly. If you always wanted to fly this is as close as you're going to get, you know? And, and that's kind of interesting too. And what it goes down to psychologically and interesting, which is interesting is, is originality. We talked about originality, but what is original? And when you're trying to mimic reality, you're pushing the bounds of originality and uniqueness of it. And mm-hmm. nature, like I always say on the show, is like nature holds a patent to all originality, from my opinion, because it's created everything for our own existence of reality. You know, we're always trying to, it seems like we're always trying to either augment or replicate the reality that which, which we've lived in and, and developed ourselves, you know, as creatures upon this earth. 
And I find it fascinating that we're constantly trying to control it. But I guess that's part of design, you know? So the conundrum of these thoughts <laughs> gets me lost for days. So, But I, I, I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. I know there's going to be a lot of disgusting things that come from it, but there's going to be a lot of great things, you know? So um, No, I think it'll really like pinpoint kind of the question of what is original um, if everything is so seamless. But I mean, would you, are you more interested in virtual reality for creating experiences that you can't physically experience or in kind of creating a seamless realistic depiction of reality? Um, You know, I think I'm personally interested in it based off of how I can interact with somebody in a very cognitive form. And if, it's not necessarily those things in specific. Like I was developing a concept with the guys at Oculus and my friend Anthony about something very unique, um, that was beyond, you know, the surface level of experiences. So that was, you know, for me personally, I'm interested in utilizing it as a tool as I would a camera or, um, writing a script or any other thing. It's just a tool to get, to that experience and to try and design Mm -hmm. and craft this experience, almost like a chef would cook a meal or something, you know, like I want this person to be elated when the steak opens up and blah, 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 you know, like what that experience is and designing that into the, Mm -hmm. to the core essence of what it is. But when you use VR, I think it's really important to discover what it is, the tool that it is and utilize that to help humanity in some form, uh, empower people, educate people, enlighten people, you know, Mm -hmm. exchange ideas that, um, you know, when the, for example, I think, I think that the, 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 the gateway to VR and AR and all that stuff is as significant as I think the, the printing press, um, because of what it's going to do to us as a, as a, as a, as a species, you know, and, and seeing that it, that comes with tremendous, amount of responsibility you can use printing uh, the printing press to to explain to a whole population you know like um like propaganda for example use that as example i mean it's it's horrible to use this as an example but like the nazi regime was an incredible horrible design it was great design but it was horrible design because it was how efficient like efficient it was and how it worked and it's really gnarly you know but utilizing that kind of ability to get the word out, the print, the give the idea out can be utilized in two different forms, just like a knife or a blade or a gun. And I think the same thing with VR. I think it's very important for us to understand what it is and how to utilize it in a positive form, you know, because mm-hmm. it can get mm-hmm. so dark so fast. I mean, most of it's porn, you know, so porn is like going to be, you know, that's its own thing. Um, but the other part I think is really going to be unique. You know, what is my daughter going to experience when she has VR? Is there going to be schools? Is she going to be doing VR for classrooms and learning about yeah. stuff beyond, you know, I had to use a book and use my imagination. Is that great? Possibly, you know, maybe utilizing my imagination and activated this curiosity within me that rather than being spoon fed this fully immersive experience, you know, so two sides to it, you know, but I'm curious to see what that is. And being a content creator, I would love to make something that is significant and special and utilized in a very positive way, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so I think you kind of landed on a really interesting point, which is kind of, um, 
we already are in a culture of, of images and kind of um, once everything becomes uh, visualized and either an image or in the case of virtual reality, I think uh, there is this question of whether or not that imagination su suffers as a result. Yeah. Um, it's one question if you're kind of listening to the radio um, and you're trying to imagine those stories being told but it's another thing if you're watching it on television or wearing an oculus um i don't think the imagination is really working in the same way yeah it, it actually isn't um not even close uh, there's a book called the shallows which i read um got about halfway through it's a really interesting book about kind of what the way we consume information is nowadays what it's doing actually to our our minds um because it's actually we're not like say for example um the, the 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 author created this because he was noticing his lack of attention and how he became this like add machine because of the way he was consuming content when he started he was reading books books that were deep and, and evolving and they took time and there was this whole exchange of his imagination feeding into the words in which he read and there's this exchange right and um, now it's like the blogging became the, the words and the interactions became shorter all the way to Twitter, you know, which is like basically garbage. Um, not trying to be a dick. It is, though. It's like, yeah, it's it's disposable shit that just floats out there. You know, it's very few like there's very few people that I found on Twitter that are using it to, in my own uh, definition as proper and which is basically expressing and sharing information that's cool and good mm -hmm. and that's all it should mm -hmm. be not like bitching about something stupid but um <laughs> that's my opinion you know so and like i said i have many of them but what this guy s discovered is like it's actually kind of unprogramming us um it's making us more or less confused and not being as cognitively aware of our surroundings in a form of really um kind of latching on to um these structural things within our minds and the way that we kind of construct thoughts, mm -hmm. how we um, consume information. So I, I find that to be really fascinating. I think a lot of it's just change. You know, um, my daughter's 10 years old now. She's in the information age, like through and through. The weird thing is she, she'll watch like YouTube. That's her thing. She'll watch YouTube. Like when I grew up, I would watch a design program that was made for me, you know, like like Batman animated series. Like that shit was my show. You know, I grew up with that. Mm -hmm. That was designed for me, you know, and, and she's watching, um, just people making their own content, like almost YouTube celebrities, I guess. And they're making their own shows and sitcoms with their iPhones and stuff. And that is complete entertainment for her. For me, I'm like, what the hell? Where's the production there? And she it doesn't matter though. You know, the exchange for her is, is not necessarily about that, you know, and I find it to be f completely fascinating because it completely flips everything. And, and I'm taking note because I'm like, well, shit, is this the future? I better be cautious because, <laughs> you know, I got to be aware of these things, you know? So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I digress. I have I have one final question for you that I, I, want, I want to talk forever, but I have to get going soon. One one of the things I wanted to know about from you and your perspective is where are you going? Like, what's the future of this? I know you mentioned some stuff in the beginning. Can't really talk about that. But as far as you as a person, a creator, um, a communicator, a designer, what what is what does the future um, hold for you? Sure. Well, I think I kind of briefly mentioned kind of, uh, there are kind of two types of designers, so to speak. Uh, there are specialists and there are generalists. Um, and I think what excites me about 
design is um, these kind of shape-shifting generalists who can kind of work in any medium, in any format, with any content. Um, and for me, that's that's what's motivating is because that essentially creates this structure for you to have this perpetual curiosity for a lifetime. Because hmm. um, you're not only learning new disciplines and new subject areas, but you're also learning new tools. Um, so for me, what I'm looking towards uh, in the upcoming years is not only working um, kind of on a much bigger scale uh, with my next job, next job um, and kind of navigating how to be, how to work with kind of larger teams and larger people uh, to create bigger impact, but more specifically in terms of kind of, we talked briefly about independent work and I would love to be able to kind of just um, kind of branch off of kind of traditional graphic design, so to speak. I mean, I think I fantasize about working exclusively in images. I fantasize about designing a space or designing a small clothing line. Um, I think the possibilities are really endless once you kind of have these foundational principles. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm kind of really looking towards uh, opportunities which kind of give me more access to kind of a wider range of possibilities, whether that be filmmaking or architecture or, or the like. Um, so that's... I don't know if that really answers your question. No, but I it guess does. It's, totally it's does. Like more, more variety. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, you want more variety, and you also want to retain your own voice while working for something big and understanding how the machine works, right? Yeah. Yeah, which I think is great, and I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward to hearing or reading an article or just kind of seeing the evidence of your desire to create something for a space. You know, like that's going to be cool. You know. Sounds yeah. like that's important to you, and I really strongly advise you. You must go do it. You know, <laughs> I'm always mm -hmm. a, I'm always like you know right behind people that are just trying to push their own experience in this world that they feel is their you know design destiny. I suppose you know. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been really great having you on and just kind of diving into these really deep ether things. I know we didn't touch on a lot of things. Um, perhaps we can do two episodes or another one if you're ever interested and we can kind of dive deeper into those kind of things. But I really appreciate these kind of conversations because they make me think, I really hope they're making people think about these things as well. Um, mm -hmm. The audience in which they really enjoy that collective podcast, I really try to you know bring these weird things up because... If we're not thinking about him, who is, you know? <laughs> and that does it for this week's episode. Big thank yous out to Jessica for coming on the show and sharing your time with us this week. You can find links to Jessica's amazing work and all of the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com forward slash 117, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Also, feel free to reach out and suggest anyone you'd like to know or hear more from on the show. I want to personally thank every, everybody that's sent out all the kind notes and emails regarding the positive effects the podcast has had on your life. It really does fuel the cause, so I really wanted to send a sincere thank you to you guys, everybody. Thank you so much for the love. Hope you guys have an amazing day. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out. Peace out.